really? Mercy. Anyway, you know, I think, um, I think the Grinch said it best. You know, in that story by Dr. Seuss, The Grinch That Stole Christmas, maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. Well, the Grinch had successfully stolen every Christmas gift, every Christmas tree, every Christmas meal, and every Christmas decoration from the little town of Whoville. But the people in Whoville joyously celebrated Christmas anyway. The story goes a little like this. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled three hours till his puzzler was sore, and the Grinch thought of something that he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a whole lot more. Friends, Christmas does mean a whole lot more than packages, boxes, and bags. Christmas, friend, is the celebration of when God stepped out of the glory of heaven into human history to redeem fallen men and women to pay the penalty of our sin and our rebellion toward Him. As Christians who have received the grace of God, as Christians who have received the mercy of God, I pray, I pray that this year you choose to focus on Christmas and focus on Jesus while doing it. Choose to focus on Jesus this Christmas. For indeed, Jesus Christ came to die. But I wondered, what was he thinking? What was Jesus thinking as he prepared to come to earth? I mean, who would do such a thing? Why would Jesus come to save a creation who had turned their backs on him, who had disobeyed him, and who ultimately would murder him? Who would do such a thing? Today, I want to share some wonderful insights with you on what was on the mind of Jesus at that first Christmas. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, it's uh, page 1043 on the Bibles in, in front of you. They're in the pew. In Philippians chapter 2, in verse 5, beginning in verse 5, the Word of God instructs us, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery being equal with God, but made of himself no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he 
humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. But what kind of mind was in Christ Jesus? Well, first of all, the Bible tells us that Jesus had a selfless mind in the cradle. Read it there with me in verse 6. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery being equal with God, but made of himself no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. You see, friend, God revealed a selfless mind when he became a human being. First of all, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is essentially and undeniably God. Do you know that this morning? Say amen if you know that this morning. Amen. First of all, he is essentially and undeniably God. He is equal to the creator of the universe. Jesus is equal to the one who breathed life into dust and created Adam. Jesus is equal to the one who took a rib from Adam's side and created Eve. Jesus is equal to the God who parted the Red Sea. He is equal to God who gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Jesus is equal to God who led Israel into the Promised Land. Jesus is equal to God who created you. He is undeniably God. Therefore, Jesus wasn't worried. He wasn't worried somebody was going to take his place in heaven if he came down to earth as a human being. He was and he is equal to God in every way, yet he still came to this planet as a man. Try to wrap your mind around this thought for a second. In Matthew 1.21, the angel of the Lord told Joseph, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her, get this, is conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. And she'll bring forth a son, and you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Behold, the virgin shall, shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. But not only did God reveal a selfless mind in the cradle by becoming human, he also revealed a selfless mind in his humility. I read one time when Muhammad Ali was in his prime that he was on a plane about to take off, and the flight attendant come over and said, Mr. Ali, uh, you need to fasten your seatbelt. And Ali said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the stewardess said, well, Superman don't need no airplane either. Buckle your seatbelt. And he did. You see, what Ali and many others lack in humility, 
the Lord Jesus makes up for tenfold. Jesus, God in the flesh, friends. God in the flesh was born in a humble stable to ordinary parents just like you. And while the birth of a child normally is cause for great rejoicing, the birth of this child came with a lot of mixed emotion. For you see, this child, this child came with an agenda. This child came with a plan. This child came with a purpose. For friend, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Can you wrap your mind around the idea that while every human child is born to live, to live a fruitful life, this child was born to die. What a selfless mind we see in the cradle. But this passage also tells us that Jesus had a sacrificial mind, especially when he hung on the cross. See, not only would the Creator come down to serve the created, not only would Jesus empty himself of the privileges of being God, not only would Jesus empty himself of the privileges of heaven, not only would Jesus empty himself of all the privileges of glory, not only would he accept countless limitations just to be God with us, here in verse 8, we find that God's sacrifice knows no bounds. Follow with me in verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he, Jesus, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Not just any death. The death of the cross. You see, the cross, friend, was the cruelest instrument of death known to man. The cross reveals how evil, how inhumane people can be to people. Does it shock you how mean people can be to people sometimes? Well, the cross reveals that uh, in, in magnitude. I mean, consider the helplessness of the one who hung on the cross. The accused hanging there, suspended between heaven and earth, just waiting helplessly to die. After hours on the cross, the victim would begin to beg. He would begin to beg to die. He would beg to die to relieve himself of the agony and suffering of the cross. I wonder how many moms looked up at their son hanging on a cross just wanting to help their child. How awful would it be to see your son agonizing in pain, calling out for your touch, but you can't give it. Helplessness. But not only helplessness, there's also the horror of the cross. Consider this. 
The only way you're coming down off that cross is in the hands of the people who are going to lay you in your grave. As nails were being driven into your hands and feet, all you can do is wait for your life to drain out. The ripping of skin, the bursting of arteries, the severing of nerves. Could you endure such horror for people who hate you? Could you endure such horror for people who have turned their back on you? But get this, the cross was not only a place of suffering. The cross was also a place of salvation. In Isaiah 53, the Bible foretells of God's great sacrifice, saying, it was our weaknesses he bore. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought that his troubles were punishment for God for his own sin. But no, he was wounded and crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we might have peace with God. And by his stripes, we are healed. And you'll never know the depths of the sacrifice of Christ this side of heaven. But I wonder when we get to heaven if we'll understand a little bit more clearly what Jesus did for us all. On the cross, the creator was put to death by the created. Let that sink in a minute. You killed the one who made you. The sins of Bill Barlow caused the Lord of glory to be crucified. My sins and your sins caused Jesus to endure excruciating torment. The created killed the creator. You see, I had a debt that had to be paid, and I was flat broke. And Jesus paid my debt. It's like the song that says, I was guilty with nothing to say, and then they were coming to take me away. But then a voice from heaven was heard that said, let him go. Take me instead. I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. I should have hung on that cross in disgrace. But Jesus, God's son, he took my place. And yours. What a selfless mind we see in the cradle. What a sacrificial mind we see on the cross. But glory to God, that ain't the end. Glory to God, that's only the beginning. For you see, Jesus also had a sovereign mind wearing a crown. Follow along with me in verse 9. 
Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the name that's above every name. Lord. 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 Make no mistake about it, friends. Jesus Christ is Lord. And you can confess it today and be saved, or you can confess it later and be condemned. It's your choice. It's your choice. But either way, Jesus Christ is still the Lord. It's just what are you going to do about it? But can I give you a word of caution here? Jesus said in the book of Matthew chapter 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but get this, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. See, it's not just lip service. It's not just saying, Lord, Lord. It's living like Jesus is your Lord. Is he your Lord today? See, when we acknowledge Him as Savior, when we acknowledge Him as Lord, what happens is we receive the command by God to humble ourselves and follow God in obedience. And with all that's in us, we honor the Lord by doing that. So many people are willing to serve as long as it don't cost them nothing. As long as they don't have to change, they're good. Long as they don't have to submit, oh, they're good. But if there's a price to pay, now all of a sudden they start losing interest in this whole Christianity thing. Is he your Lord or not? Your life will show it. I read that ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. In other words, if you're going to receive some blessing, then there's going to have to be some bleeding. Ministry that costs us nothing accomplishes nothing. And I want to tell you this morning with all my heart that your king is worthy, worthy to be served. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Listen to what the author of Hebrews said. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in the times past to the Father through the prophets, has here in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom He also made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, and when He by Himself had purged our sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's Lord and he's king. Do you mind if I tell you a little bit about my king? About a decade ago, I shared a description of my king with you by a man named D.S. Lockridge. And Mr. Lockridge said, Jesus is enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. 
He's immortally graceful, imperially powerful. He is impartially merciful. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's precedented. He's the loftiest idea in literature, the highest idea in philosophy, the fundamental truth in theology. He's the miracle of the age. He's the supplier of all of our needs. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges the debtors. He delivers captives. He defends the feeble, blesses the young, serves the unfortunate, regards the aged, and he rewards the diligent. He beautifies the meek. Friend, do you know my king? Well, my king is the king of knowledge. He is the wellspring of wisdom, the doorway to deliverance, the pathway of peace, the roadway to righteousness, the highway of holiness, and the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty, the captain of the conquerors, the head of the heroes, the leader of the legislators. He is the overseer of the overcomers, the governor of the governors, the prince of princes, the king of kings, and the lord of lords. Do you know my king? Friend, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. Do you know my king? Friend, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible and he's irresistible. What I'm trying to tell you is, is that the heavens can't contain him, let alone a grave explain him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Friends, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found they couldn't stop him. Friend, the pilot couldn't find any fault in him, but Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. The grave couldn't hold him. Friend, that's my king. Do you know him? Friend, listen, he always has been and he always will be. He's got no predecessor and he's got no successor. He is the king. There's been nobody before him. There'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him and you can't resign him. We all try to get the prestige. We all try to get the honor. We all try to get the glory for ourselves. But friend, all the glory is his. Do you know my king? Friend, listen carefully. Thine is the kingdom. And the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and forever and ever and ever. And when all the forevers are over with, then it's amen and amen and amen. Oh, I wish I could describe him to you. Do you know my king? He is so worth knowing. He came... In a cradle. He suffered on a cross. And today, he wears a crown. And he can be yours. Only if you will receive him by faith, believing that he is your Savior and your Lord. Will you... Receive the greatest gift that God offers you at Christmas? 
God has also highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I offer you a Christmas gift. Will you receive it? Father, we can think of no greater gift to receive from your hand except the gift of your precious son, Jesus, and the privilege of being able to call him Savior and the Lord of our life. Father, if there's one here who knows he's Lord, but has not received him as such, and they think they can just wait. Lord, let them not suppose upon your grace, for we don't know what tomorrow holds. Father, I'd rather declare him Lord today and be saved than declare him Lord when I face him and be condemned. Lord, today is a day of salvation. Today is a day to receive the greatest gift known to man, an indescribable.